0: Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 129 of the Benzo Free Podcast. Well, hello there, and happy holidays to everyone here in the U.S. It is almost Thanksgiving. It is Thanksgiving tomorrow. In fact, my wife is upstairs. Working on some mashed potatoes and stuffing, I think, getting that all ready. And we got the turkey brining. We brine our turkeys before cooking it the next day and getting the house ready. And I'm downstairs doing this and working some. She's got the whole week off, so that's kind of nice. I'm glad she took some time off. And we have all of her family. We got nine people over here tomorrow. So it will be a busy day full of family and all the joys and and difficulties that can come with that <laughs> you know it's it's easy to um criticize family and i think god we all do that a lot i know my wife and i we do it too much um i think many do It's the littlest things the little things somebody's running late or they're always late or why do we have to fix this menu for this person and this and this person won't eat this and Or, you know, it's like, well, they won't get along with this person. So now we can't invite both of them. And now what do we do? Or it goes on and on. And families come with dysfunction. (laughs) I always have the running joke inside my head that there's no such thing as a functional family (laughs) because that, that model of family I don't think I've ever seen exist in reality we all have dysfunction. We're all human, and we're trying to get along and live together in close quarters in family units, and that wears on people. And we pick fights, and we get irritated, and we have expectations, and expectations unmet. And for some, it evolves into long periods of time not speaking to each other. I have had that in my family. And even to completely writing off that person and and then when people start to pass on, like I had that recently and stuff like that, you, sometimes it gets worse. And sometimes you start to, for some of us, you have, though, instead we, re, we realize the um the reality of the situation. I know I'm trying to be grateful for my family and they're pretty amazing. I have, after, um, you know, on my side of the family, I have my sister and her two sons left. And. I'm grateful for them, and my wife's family, she still has most of her family around, which is great, and so we have, you know, all of them coming over tomorrow, because they all live here in Colorado now, so it'll be nice. It'll be chaotic and crazy, and three dogs, nine people, and all kind of run over the place, but it'll be good, and it'll be, and I'm grateful for that, because I'd much rather have that than not have it, so that's pretty cool. I wanted to talk about our website really quickly. When we did the last podcast with Doreen, um, we talked a little bit about giving your feedback of where you think we should take easing anxiety and what the future of it is and what direction maybe we should head with that. And um, then I realized afterwards, after I got some feedback that somebody wrote to me and said, I can't get your feedback form to work. And <laughs> and it looks like on mobile devices, our feedback form was not working. So special thanks to that person for letting me know about that problem. I wanted to let you know it has been fixed now. I believe it is working. If it's not, please let me know. But it is working on the mobile devices, on cellular phones and stuff like that. So please go back and leave us feedback. We still want to hear from you about um, what you want from easing anxiety, where you see this going, what you're looking for, what you need. Um, we really are curious to have that kind of feedback, and it's very beneficial to us, and it makes a big difference. This is your podcast, and I am very grateful for your input. So thank you so much for that. And actually, we had a comment just come in um, on one of the posts that we, we had posted, that Dorita posted. And this person, I'm not going to mention the name here, but um, this person was, was somewhat critical of what we're doing, um, even mentioned that if they knew somebody that needed support for benzos or for anxiety, they would not recommend our channel. And also had some criticisms around, um, working with the psychological side of things, the mental health side of things with benzos. And I replied to that. Doreen also replied since it was her blog post and he disagreed. We agreed to disagree, um, on all those comments. I personally, I'll admit the um, comment about, would not recommend anybody to our site, basically that our site's, I guess, useless, um, stung. Um, I'll admit it's, you know, not fun to see that, but I also welcome and encourage some critique, you know, criticism, as long as it's respectful, I welcome criticism. But that doesn't mean it doesn't, you know, bother you. It's like when you think the last 10 years of your life to, for some people, some people see that as being not effective and not beneficial. And I disagree. I have to say that we've, I've gotten hundreds of emails and feedback forms and comments saying how the work we've done has been beneficial. So maybe for that person and maybe for others too, it's not been, but I think we're on a good track and I think we've done some really good work. So I'm still proud of what we've done, but I just wanted to mention that we do get comments and we get criti- criticism sometimes and that's okay. I welcome that too so if you're going to give us some feedback it's okay to say hey I'd rather you not do these anymore or not do it this way or um, a lot more of this or you know we're looking for some interest on where you see us taking this Um, I've had a lot of you know ideas in in my podcast and my website over time and then I teamed up recently with Doreen who's helping me with with some strategy and um, also writing some blog posts so she's working with us um, with us here at easing anxiety and I'm having other people coming on board too. So I, I think it's, I think we're figuring out some things and we're figuring out where to go. I've been a little lost lately. I mentioned that in my recent post with insomnia and it's been a lot of confusion and trying to figure out, I go through indecision. Sometimes I think many of you who have been through bind and benzo withdrawal, withdrawal, realize that indecision is, another one of those symptoms. In fact, I should add that to my symptom list that we have on our training program, which I will talk about in a little bit. But I think that's a significant one. I've noticed that in my life. I'm, I'm definitely more indecisive than I used to be. And I think a lot of that's the self-confidence. Bind can really do a number on our self-confidence. So I do think those are associated and something that we can work on and try to improve on. But one of, the, one of the things outside of that my, you know, our site wasn't actually beneficial and that he wouldn't recommend people to our site. He also mentioned that he believed that once that this was entirely a chemical thing, that benzodiazepines bind is entirely chemical. And once the GABA receptors are healed and all that's done, then we actually wind up better than we were before we went in without doing any work on anxiety or mental health or anything. We just wind up better off. I'm not sure about his background, but I, I disagree with that. I've not seen that. Um, I asked him if he had some research and he said he didn't or that he wasn't able to pull it. Um, I'm not saying that he hasn't seen what he's referring to, and I'm not doubting that. I'm just saying what I've seen is different. And it doesn't make sense to me that once we take the drug for, say, say we took benzodiazepine for anxiety. And then we, we, on that drug, which helps to alleviate some of the anxiety for a couple of years, maybe we hit tolerance and then we find out we might be dependent. So we come off the drug, we taper down. Symptoms start kicking in for a lot of us. Those of you listening, many of you are this way. Um, maybe that's protracted, you wind up in bind, but you have all these symptoms kicking in. Severe anxiety, severe everything else. So a recurrence of anxiety, plus all this other stuff that hits you like really hard. And maybe say in a year or two, you're suddenly feeling better, and you feel healed. And now the original anxiety is also totally gone. And maybe that happens to some people. And But I think when it does happen, it's usually because we've learned things through this process, and we've done some work during this process to manage that anxiety better, and manage our life better, and have a different outlook and a different mindset. That's how I think our progress happens. We don't have research on this. I don't have it. I don't think this person has it. But because nobody's done specific research on bind and psychological, you know, take on, on how people recover and stuff like that. But I do think there is I, – I, I think your old self still comes back unless you have grown, either through conscious work on your own um, skills, on your own psychology, you know, through counseling or something or something. And I think otherwise you're going to wind up right back. It's, it doesn't necessarily fix the problem. It doesn't make sense to me that that pill that you took for a while fixed it temporarily. But when you stop taking the pill and you had this extreme anxiety and that fades that now you're suddenly better without anything else changing, it doesn't work for me. And I have not seen that. So we, we had some disagreements, but I, I like the criticism and I, I like the critique and it's a good discussion. It was okay having that. Um, I, like I said, I disagree that our site is not beneficial. I really believe it is, but I'm okay with that criticism. And also I want to give this person a lot of credit. They were also very, um, positive in the opening and the closing of this comment and especially in their second comment. And we're saying a lot of good things about what we do here and, and what I've done and what I've done over the years working here, just that he doesn't believe the site as it is now is beneficial to, to people in bind or dealing with anxiety. And that's his take and I get that. But anyway, it was balanced and it was respectful and I had no problem with it, so I was okay. I just thought it was interesting to address that because we are focused more on psychology here and mental health than we are on taper plans. Than we are on the actual, you know, I mean, we do do talk about the chemical, the differences. We talk about the dependence. We talk about physiologically what's happening we, and a lot of the research I do, and I'm on several research teams that I'm working on, we're looking at that. So this is knowledge, you know, I've acquired some and I've learned a few things and I know more about that and we we inter- interject that. But the reason why we do have more of a focus on psychology and mental health is because that's where we see we can make a difference. In my viewpoint, I've said this many times, I don't really see us making a lot of difference in Relieving symptoms. The only thing I've really seen consistent in relieving benzodiazepine symptoms is time. And that time varies significantly, as we know, for different people. But it takes time for our bodies to heal via homeostasis, for the GABA receptors to heal, for all the other, um, all the peripheral nervous system, the, the central nervous system, all the different effects that this has, the muscles. Our bodies have to reset, and it can take months or years for some people. And I haven't seen anything yet that's been proven that can help us speed up that healing. But I do think if we can help people with some anxiety tools, if we can help people with you know a different mindset, maybe even dealing with the five stages of grief, which I see a lot of times around benzos and bind, if we can help people process things and encourage them and even more so provide that connection and that... Um, just validation that I think we do a lot through this podcast saying, I hear you. I see what you're going through. It's for real. It sucks. I've been through something similar. Let's talk about it. I think that's beneficial. And I do believe, and I've seen people as they learn to accept what they're going through, reach acceptance, and they've developed some anxiety management tools and can help reduce stress and anxiety in their life. I've seen that improve things continuously. So, in my opinion, that's where I come from, and that's that goes back to what we're doing here on that direction of anxiety. So, moving on from the comment, this is what we do. In fact, right now we're we're basically maybe 60 or 70 percent benzos and bind, and like 30 percent anxiety. Although probably it's more 50-50, and it might even move a little more that direction. Because that's where we can make the difference. You know, we'll provide the bind info, we'll provide the benzos. We're actually, I think the number one site or number two, one or two sites that pops up on Google searches for bind and bind and benzos. Um, and so we provide that information. And it makes sense. I mean, I was on, I'm a member of the research team. I'm an author on the paper that came out. I was part of the nosology team on bind. I was in the trenches of this stuff. So I know a lot about it um, and where it came from. So I'm happy to talk on that. and I'm happy to provide that information on our site and we will continue to do that. But I also like the human side of things, the person, the person side, the connection. And since day one, this channel has been about me connecting with you and providing that relationship, that friendship, that that type of connection that helps us get through this. And that's what I want to continue to do. And so we'll keep working on life skills and philosophy and anxiety and all those things that help us live a better life. We might even do some more of that as we're moving along, but we'll keep doing some information on BIND. And I I just wanted to address that because of the comment and let people know that that's always been my focus and direction here and I will continue to move in that direction. Um, as we as we go along. So that's where we're at. And I think this is beneficial. So anyway, I think I rambled on with that sufficiently, which I seem to do sometimes. <laughs> so let's move on a little bit. Our feature today is things I learned from teaching benzo peer training, benzo peer support training. Um, this is a course that we worked together over the last year and a half through the Benzodiazepine Action Work Group. And so we're going to dive into that in just a few minutes. Before I do, don't forget to check us out on our different channels. You can find us on YouTube and Twitter. We're at easing A-N-X. Again, that's at easing A-N-X. Or our website, of course, at easinganxiety.com. You can find all our content there. Search for any subject. Create your own personal profile. And yes, um, I'll be on there and, and Doreen will probably be on there next month. Um, And we're going to have some more activity. So I'm not talking about it right now, but you're going to start seeing things on that site if you're logged in. If you're not, go to our site and check in and and sign up for a mailing list. Create a profile on there if you want to, and we'll see what's happening. And remember, the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only. Everybody sing along and should never be considered medical advice. Want to always get that in there. We are. We are not a medical advice channel, and that's one of the reasons, another reason why we don't do a lot of tapering. That's another reason we don't do a lot about those specific medications. We can't give medical advice. I am not a medical professional. Um, Doreen is not either. She, is, she is a, has a doctorate in public health, um, but neither one of us are medical you know, practitioners, so we cannot give medical advice, and that's one reason why we focus more on areas where we can help people out as they go through this. So that's that. Ah, <sighs> that was the intro. Let's move on to our feature. <laughs> I like the sound of that. And before I do, how you doing? A <laughs> little gap here. I just want to pause for a second. I feel like I, whenever I feel like I'm breathless because I've been rambling on for four hours, even though it's probably been, what has it been? Here, I'm looking at my little recorder. 17 minutes. Wow. Okay been rambling on for 17 minutes. Um, i like to pause for a second and check in with you and see how you're doing. I can honestly say that I've had plenty of symptoms kicking in lately and I'm dealing with insomnia again now for a couple of weeks, achesiesia, pretty strong lately. And, um, my dysphagia, my swallowing has come back again. It went away for a little bit and now it's back again, not as severe, but it's back. So yes, I'm still dealing with symptoms. Like I said once or twice or three times before on this podcast, I, I, I attribute that from a motivational standpoint to, I still have symptoms so I can still relate to you all better. So I don't forget what it's like. So I don't forget the bad days and what's happening. So, but, um, my, my wave is most likely triggered and maybe even half due to COVID and due to long COVID, long COVID. We're doing more research on this, but doesn't play well with BIND. And um, many people have written into to me. And if you got more on that, please let me know. I just think it's curious. But yes, both COVID and BIND have neurological effects. We know that. We've seen that. And it makes sense that one is going to exacerbate the condition of the other. So doesn't mean it's terrible or horrible. I don't think it's permanent. I think it just sometimes is a little bit of a setback. Um, And yes, I'm still using setback. I'm going to stick with it. I don't mean setback like I'm back to square one. Not at all. When I say setback, I mean I went back a couple steps. So it's a little bit of a step back. But I'm not back to the first year or two when it was really hell, you know, for a while coming off these drugs. But I have taken a couple steps back. I have more symptoms now. I'm dealing with this, but I've dealt with it for nine years. I'm going to get through this. I can manage this, I can figure things out, I'll keep moving forward and we'll get there. So, I'm not worried. And don't forget, I've done a lot of things wrong, I've made mistakes, I have other conditions, so my story will not be yours. For most people, they heal far shorter time than I do, I'm just one of those extreme cases. (laughs) Oh joy, (laughs) aren't we so happy about that, (laughs) but I'm okay with it, I'm okay with it. Anyway. So that's enough for the gap. I just wanted to touch base with you all and say, hi, hope you're all doing well. And um, hope you got the holidays coming up. Hope you can enjoy them to some degree. Hope you can spend some time with some loved ones. And um, maybe, you know, take a little break from the chaos of the day. I think that'd be pretty cool. Then again, sometimes the holidays brings chaos. So you know what I mean. (laughs) All right, let's move on to training. Today's feature is teaching benzo peer training. And the reason this one came up is I just got done teaching one of the courses for benzo peer training. This is our third session. Our first one was a pilot. It was a free session we ran. And I taught that one along with Dr. Christy Huff and um, Ginger Ross. And then there was a second course and some other instructors taught that one. And then this one came up and this this is our second paid one. It's a Colorado course. And so I just taught this one along with um, Ginger Ross from Choices Training and Lisa Gemmel from, um, and she was our shadow instructor. So Lisa Gemmel from Benzo Warrior. Um, Just, you know, we do shadow instructors, meaning that's just for people who help develop the course and are also going to be teaching the course, but haven't taught one on their own or just one, you know, a full course as as a lead instructor. And so each person has to go through that process now to kind of get up to there. So that's why Lisa was a shadow instructor is she's, going through that step to become a full instructor on the program. So that's where that's at. So it was the three of us teaching this course. It was on the 7th and 14th of November, and it's a 12-hour course, so six hours in on two Tuesdays, and it went really well. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about that, and teaching that class, we, we sold this one out. It was awesome. We've been selling out a lot of courses here. It's sold out at 25 individuals. We cap it at 24, and it sold out at 25. So we had a full house. And I'm going to talk a little bit about who was there because the class and the interactions, I learned a lot. And I want to share some because a lot of that has to do with what we're going through and what we've done. So let me tell you just a couple minutes about the course. I want to tell you what it is, just so you have that basis before we move forward. I won't bore you too long, but give me about two minutes to do this, just so you know. The course is titled Recovering for Benzodiazepines for Peer Specialists. It's a 12-hour training course designed to educate peers, counselors, caregivers, and providers on specialized information regarding benzodiazepine use, its associated complications such as withdrawal and benzodiazepine-induced neurological dysfunction, or BIND, and how to support the individual as they taper, heal, and find wellness. This course is designed to help those individuals by giving them information, research, and tools they need to support this, you know, to, to help people, dis- support people going through this, this disenfranchised community. It has been designed to meet state certification requirements and has been integrated into core recovery training as provided by established training organizations. Yes, I, I I read that off the website, but I also wrote that for the website. So it was on my long time ago, but I just wanted to read that and get that summary in there. Um, this has been a huge team effort. We've spent a year and a half working on it. I was project lead from the beginning. Um, so I've kind of been steering this through. Uh, I also want to recognize Shana M- Micucci at the um, Colorado Consortium for Prescription Drug Abuse Prevention, who has been our program manager. Um, and and of course, Susanna Cooper, who is our original one, but Shana has been taking over. She's been doing a lot of work behind the scenes. Um, other people involved are Dr. Alexis Ritvo from the University of Colorado and Coach Mike fellow co-chair at Benzodiazepine Action Work Group, um, Dr. Christy Huff from BIC, Ginger Ross. She was our consultant from recovery training, choices recovery training, Gina Olberding at the assistant director at the consortium, and of course our development team. And we had an amazing team developing this. Nicole Lamberson, PA from the Benzadicism Information Coalition and Medical Advisor. She also produced and wrote the script for the um, video that we had in here. So awesome work. Terry Schreiber from the Schreiber Research Group um, taught our second course. She's solid, just great gal. Um, Tr- Trina Fates M.A., um, Boulder County Substance Use Advisory Group. She comes from recovery, but she also has um, experience with people who have gone through benzodiazepines. And then, of course, Barbara Connolly and Lisa Gemmel, both from Benzo Warrior um, over there. So, And then we had also, just to let Jay Billups, to thank you, he's the guy who did the animation of the video on the video. I wanted to thank those people. I wanted to get those names out there and say thank you to our development team. It was, it was a long process. Like I said, a year and a half went into this, setting this up and it's finally taken off the classes are going great we're getting amazing feedback we're selling out courses and i'm so proud to have this out there and i'm just proud of the team that worked with us to develop this so thank you to all those people and thank you to the organizations and that covers that part okay (laughs) so i got that out of the way now the part you know maybe you skipped over that and you moved on to this section and that's okay (laughs) um But here's the class. So this class that we just taught was, and this is a virtual training, so we all taught it through Zoom, and just kind of giving you the visuals of what it looks like. Hang on a second, I'm taking a little drink of water here. But when everybody signed up and we got here, we found out that half the people in the class of the 25 students were Benzo people or had either direct effect had taken Benzos or had work in support for Benzos or caregivers or whatever and the other half were recovery personnel. So people used to SUD, substance use disorder, addiction, people who work in that world. And that was a perfect class. That was a perfect class because it really helped, those two groups helped educate each other. Now, I wanna mention something about the recovery world and the recovery, I didn't know much about substance substance use disorder, what we used to call addiction, which we now call SUD, it's just more appropriate for that group of people. Um, but I didn't know much about that world until I was co-chair of the benzodiazepine action work group, and our group is part of the Colorado Consortium for Prescription Drug Abuse Prevention. So everybody else, almost everybody else at the Colorado Consortium, are focused on SUD. Okay, they're focused on fentanyl and opioids, and um, we're this little world underneath them that is just focused on benzodiazepines. But I've learned a lot through them, and then of course creating this training and working with Ginger Ross, um, the founder of Choices Training. Who taught me so much about the recovery trainings? In fact, all of our development teams, people I had mentioned up there, almost most of those people I'd mentioned, took the a full recovery course training through Choices training, so we can understand the recovery world better. Now, why did we do that? I know that's a fair question. And I want to mention that briefly. Because, and this is this this is all this learnings that I've taken, you know, I've picked up from here. But the reason we did this was. There, there are a lot of groups out there that need support. SUD needs support, just like benzodiazepine PD, which is physical dependence group, needs support. We all need support, and everybody has those needs, but there are some differences. There are definitely differences, and that's why this course exists. But why not look at who went before you to learn from them? So with our Benzo Action Work Group, we have learned from substance use disorder world and the recovery world about what they've learned. Are we different? Absolutely. Most of us have taken the drugs drugs as prescribed, have no addictive kind of, you know, related, no SUD related types of behaviors and stuff like that tied to it. And um, what was I saying? I have none of that, have none of that. And oh, and also are dealing more with physical dependence and not so much SUD. Are there some people who have taken benzodiazepines who deal with addiction or, or substance use disorder? Absolutely. It's a very small percentage, though, from what we've seen. Most of the people who struggle with benzodiazepines, as most of you will agree, have taken the drug as prescribed and are dealing with physical dependence. The SUD world doesn't really know much as much about that. I mean, they know physical dependence as the way it's tied with SUD, but they don't know people who are just dealing with physical dependence. What does that look like? And that's, again, one of the reasons for this course. So our goal is not just to help people in the benzo community get training to be better support personnel for people going through this. But it's equally so that the SUD world, the recovery world, now understands the needs of the benzodiazepine individuals and what they're going through. So how that's different from SUD and why we need to change things. Many of the people on the recovery side in this class work at rehab facilities, mental health facilities. These are the individuals we're trying to help educate so they understand, wait a minute, wait a minute. Benzodiazepine dependence is different. And we need to be knowledgeable about about that, and we need to help them with what they're going through. That's what this course, I'm hoping, is is a big benefit in that area. And it seems like we're attracting people. And from the response, it seems like we're getting that message across. And I love that. I'm just so excited about that. You can tell me I got passion about it. It's so cool that this course is out there and going now and working. And we got five more or four more classes ready, signed up before July, the end of the fiscal year. And then we're, of course, we're just going to keep going. And more and more national ones. We got a New Hampshire course coming up. We got a a national, overall national course coming up and some more Colorado courses. So there's a lot going on. Just um, please go check us out. I didn't mention this before. I forgot to. To learn more about the Benzo training, please check us out at benzopeertraining.org. Again, that's benzopeertraining.org. That will take you right to the site at the consortium, which talks about it. You can also sign up there to be notified when new classes are up for registration, okay? And to sign up for these courses, if you do early bird registration and get in early, it's less than $100 to sign up for this course, a 12-hour course, and it's less than $100 to sign up if you sign up early. So... That's all, all because the consortium has helped to subsidize um, some of this course and some of the training of this course. And so we've tried to keep the price down. So anyway, with this mixture of the SUD world, I want to make sure that people realize, and I know a lot of people in the benzo community look and say, well, we don't want anything to do with recovery or SUD or addiction because we're not that. And I hear you. I get that. But we've learned we make the most progress by learning with other groups who have taken a similar path before us. The opioid crisis has gotten a lot of attention and they're getting a lot of help and they're getting a lot of funding. It makes sense for us to look at that and figure out what can we learn so we can get some more attention, get some funding and, and make more of a difference. And yes, we're different, but let's help educate their community on how we're different. And guess what? They just might educate us and they have with me on what they're going through. Nothing wrong with understanding both of these groups. So that's why it's so important and why we've teamed up with recovery groups and stuff like that, is that this is a group that's about benzodiazepines, what we're going through, but we're also, you know, using some of the protocols used with SUD because it's still good things about compassion fatigue. There's still good things, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in these ones that, anyway, I'm I'm rambling. We teamed up because it made sense. So anyway, these classes have been quite interesting. I've, um, I learned so much. We do a lot of interactivity. We do a lot of breakout sessions and we do a lot of discussions. So we're, one thing I've learned from Ginger Ross, who is our consultant through Choices Training. Um, I, I'm a teacher from way back. I used to teach, peer, I used to teach screenwriting, believe it or not. For years, I was on the board of the Vale Film Festival for 10 years and I taught screenwriting all across the country in different sessions and I used to teach it at the, at college and I learned a lot, but I was always an in-person teacher. And um, I hadn't done any formal, I'd done some training before this on virtual, but I hadn't done a lot. So I learned a lot from on how to do more of a interactive class without being in the class. And um, Ginger Ross at Choices Training helped us a lot with that. She's really done a great job. She runs her own training training session, and she's been our consultant on this, helping us develop this since day one. So she is a big part of this, and she still helps us teach us, and she still runs the registration for the classes. Um, So it's really been great. But I've learned a lot from her about interactivity and discussions and getting involved with people. And some of those lessons we're going to include here at Easing Anxiety because those discussions and that interactivity are things that we can feed into maybe some, you know, hint, hint, some trainings that we're going to be doing on our site and maybe some um, other work that we're doing and some interactivity and in our online community. So it's good to know this because it's just that you want that community. And I think a lot of groups like Benzo Warrior and others have really done a great job at creating that community. And um, we're really grateful for that. I'm really grateful for that. So so we learned a lot. Um, you know, I wanted to mention one of the best, and I'm just kind of thinking through the course and the things that I did pick up from doing this. but. I already mentioned that I've, I've learned so much from the recovery community about what they go through. And that's been exceptional because I really do understand them a little better. And I am grateful for that. Um, we did talk about BIND. And in fact, module four, this was all broken down into nine modules over two days. Module four is entirely on BIND. It was really interesting because we got a lot of good feedback from this audience. And remember this audience is half benzo half recovery. But especially on the recovery side, they never heard of it, of course. bind And bind's a new term, and it's a term we propose. We're not forcing it. It's just where we are promoting it. But it's been so nice to see them say, wow, that was a great module. And now I understand this, and this makes more sense. And the terminology helps so much. And I was so happy to see that take off and that be well-received. And just so you all know, bind is in this training. It's a whole module. We focus on it. We are putting that term out there. We are 100% behind it. Here at Easing Anxiety, I am on board with BIND. I just think it's the right term. I'm not saying other terms haven't been good and haven't been valid. It's just this one seems to have the most momentum. And in part, a lot of organizations were behind it and all involved in creating this with the the research and everything. So it just, it just makes a lot of sense. And so um, I'm just happy to see that. And I wanted to share that with you all that People are learning about BIND outside of the benzo community now, not just through the papers we published and the scientific literature and stuff like that, but through trainings. And we just finished, too, um, Dr. Alexis Ritfo and I at at the Benzo Action Work Group just got all the videos for the CME, the Continuing Medical Education, um, a four-part series lunch and learn that we did. And one of those is on Bind. So it's like it is, we're putting this all over the place. We're, we're feeding this in. Um, I just presented at an annual meeting a poster on Bind. And um, we're, we got accepted for another poster down at RX Summit. So we got all this stuff and we're putting it out there. And the more it's out there, the more people start to recognize it. And the more people recognize it, the more medical professionals become educated on it. And you see where this is going. The more medical professionals that get educated the better help we get and the people struggling get and that's what we're trying to do so yes i talk with passion and excitement sometimes and that's when i start to talk faster because i'm excited that we're making a difference and it's a team effort 100 and the people who put their team into this work are just amazing and solid and i'm so grateful for all of them so thank you for all those people that came together on this team and and, and worked on it. You know, a couple of the things that we talked about in this training that really do hit, one of them is boundaries. And I think boundaries is a really good term to talk. Let me look at my time here because oh, I'm at 38, so I'm doing okay. I don't really, I always try to keep it under an hour. I don't always make it. And now I'm actually trying to get it closer to 30 minutes, though I'm not even coming close today. So <laughs> we'll see. I'm trying to bring the brevity in on these courses, on these podcast episodes, but we'll get there. But boundaries is something I wanted to touch on and was something I, I thought was really interesting. It was well-perceived, but it's also something I want to make sure we emphasize. And that is, and i have been thinking of boundaries in two places. One is as the person going through benzo withdrawal or bind, and of course, as the person supporting that person or the support personnel involved. That can be the caregiver, it can be the benzo peer support specialist, um, which this course is for training, it can be whoever, but we need to set boundaries in different areas because like boundaries for us as the patient, our boundaries can be around triggers. Triggers are our perfect area where we often set boundaries. I'm not a big believer in, I'm not a believer in permanent boundaries, but I am a believer in temporary boundaries, in establishing boundaries when they can help. And benzo withdrawal is a perfect example. You just came off of clonazepam for 10 years or whatever, and that first year or two might be really tough. And maybe in that period, it's good not to expose yourself to too much stimuli. Maybe, you're, you, maybe you wind up with extreme light sensitivity or extreme sound sensitivity. Well, then that's a good idea to set a boundary around that, about how much exposure you had to that. Maybe you're having a lot of cognitive difficulties. It's a great time to limit the challenges maybe. Not that we don't want to still try to use our brains, but limit how much you have to rely on that when it's not working too well. And then you get more frustrated. And we're trying to stop that rumination cycle of, damn it, I need to do this at work, and I got to think through this, and I can't think through this. And that builds, and it builds into our anxiety. It builds into our depression. And it builds into our frustration. And, and setting boundaries, like I did boundary around news. I didn't watch news for almost five years because it was a trigger for me at the time, and I couldn't handle it. Now, that's a long time to set a boundary, and hopefully shorter than most people will be setting, but I've moved past that now. I now expose myself to some news, not all, but to some, and some of it's not stuff I want to see, but I handle it significantly better than I used to. I still get worked up, but here's the thing. Back then, if I saw a news article or something that really irritated me, I could carry that for 24, even 36 hours. I mean, it could take me a day to let go of that. That's how wound up we are. And that's how long it takes that cycle. You know, that glutamate and that GABA cycle that we just don't have the breaks. And so we just keep building up. Now, if I read something like that and see something that we're talking minutes, I mean, I'm worked up for a few minutes and then I go, "Ah, okay, move on. And I move on, you know, and it might still linger in the background, but I'm not, it's not ruining my day. And that's the growth that we get as we go on. And that's why we can, we can do better as we move along. But at, at, for certain times in benzo recovery, we set boundaries. And when you're a support person or a caregiver or a coach or a um, support specialist, we, need, we especially need boundaries there too. You have to take care of yourself first. You are no good to anybody else if you're not taking care of yourself. And it's so easy to not take care of yourself. But you have to take care of yourself. And you want to try to make sure the person you're taking care of understands that. And the person who's going through it, if that's you, you need to understand that that caregiver also needs some time off. They need some self time. They need some me time. Because if you don't give that to them, if you don't allow them to have that, they may not be there much longer. And that's just the truth of it. So setting boundaries, whether you're the coach or the support person or the caregiver or the person going through it is, is essential. And I, I just, I want to touch on that because I thought that was a good thing to emphasize. And, and, you know, caregivers, we go through so much because, and one of the things we talk in this training is about burnout and compassion. I'm not talking the training. What I'm here is commenting on the training because you got to take the training to get the training. Not, not that I'm saving it. It's stuff I, you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm not going to regurgitate the training here. That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm commenting on things I learned from the training and that's it. But one of the terms that came up there is compassion fatigue. And that was something that Ginger Ross from Choices tra- Training helped us understand better and get into that training. And it was very beneficial. And to see what we go through as a support person. And how that can burn out and what you can do to help manage that. Those kinds of things can be so beneficial. You know, one of the other things I, I present in this one, in that bind module that I teach as part of this training, was the 14 categories of symptoms. For those of you don't, aren't aware of that, um, there was Ashton in her manual, she actually started to organize the symptoms and um, when I wrote my book, I took what she had done and modified it a little bit and just organized it a little bit slightly differently. And then I presented it in my book. And then since then we've involved involved in a lot of trainings and we have it on our website. And now, and it's the 14 categories of benzo symptoms. Now, not every symptom's listed here, but these are a lot of the most common ones we have seen. If you wanna go check it out, go to our website, easinganxiety.com and go to the benzo um, menu item on the top, Underneath that, you'll see bind and bind symptoms. If you go to bind symptoms, you'll see those 14 categories. And also, just so you all know, I did run, I did a 14-part benzo series, one episode per category um, a few years ago. So go check that out. You can find each one. There's one just dedicated to anxiety symptoms, you know, and so you can learn more about the different categories of symptoms, what they look like. Just go back and listen to that. All those episodes and everything can still be found on our website at easinganxiety.com. But those 14 categories of symptoms are really interesting when you're presenting them to half of this class who had no idea what bind is or protracted withdrawal looks like. And when they see that list, and and for those that don't know, this list is broken down into, um, hang on, while I'm talking, see, I'm actually driving my computer. Well, I, you know, I, could, I usually just mute this. I mean, I don't mute, I pause, and I go find this and bring it up. <laughs> But screw that, I'm going to bring it up while I'm talking to you really quickly and you're just going to see me do this live. So I'm going into this folder, into this folder, and then back into this folder. And then we're going to bring up this one. There we go. As that loads. See, that was much smoother than I usually do. I usually wind up in the wrong folder, going the wrong direction, and I have to backtrack and everything. But these 14 categories of symptoms, just to review them really quickly we broke them down into psychological and physical. And again, I credit this to Ashton. She did 90% of the work here. I just did some extra work when I put it in my book. So, um, and the, the seven for psychological were anxiety type symptoms, behavioral, cognitive, excitability, perception, sleeping, and social. Um, so anxieties like, of course, general anxiety, panic attacks, behavioral is like anger, rage, obsessions, suicidal thoughts. Cognitive is like memory loss, intrusive memories, cognitive dysfunction. Excitability, one of my favorites, because I'm, I'm so is cognitive, but <laughs> I have both of these still. I definitely have the achesia. That's come back and it's strong again for a while and it's come tied with insomnia and my tinnitus. And oh, it's been fun. Um, <laughs> agitation, jumpiness. Then you got perception um, category, which is depersonalization, derealization, hallucinations. Then you got sleeping, like insomnia. But also return of dreaming, toxic naps, sleep apnea, and then of course social agoraphobia, anthropophobia, anthropo- anthropo- social phobias, isolationism—you name it—and those are the those are the seven psychological categories. We broke the physical categories down into abdominal gastrointestinal, which of course includes all the Benzo belly symptoms, distension, inflammation, nausea, groin pain, pelvic floor dysfunction. We have. Category on the eyes, ears, nose, and mouth, like blurred vision, sore eyes, dry mouth, difficulty swallowing, one of my favorites, which has come back a little bit again the last week or two. Head and neck symptoms, we got balance issues, issues, dizziness, I've had that, headache, migraines, slurred speech, which I'm getting a little bit of right now. (laughs) The more I talk, that starts to kick in. Heart and lung symptoms, like um, over-breathing, chest pain, air hunger, heart palpitations muscular, as we all know, or most of us know, benzodiazepines are excellent muscle relaxants. When we come off them, our muscles seem to have a lot of problems with that. Aches and pains, fatigue, weakness, sprains, pulls, tears, twitches, jerks, ticks, you name it. Last two are nerve sensations, including hypersensitivity to light, to sound, to all kinds of things, numbness, um, formication, skin ratches. In fact, my, I got hypersensitivity in the mouth. Now my teeth are extra sensitive. That's a new one. I didn't have that one before. I just got that one in the last three months or so to have hypersensitive teeth. I've been to the dentist two or three times on it already. Can't find anything wrong with my teeth, but they suddenly, out of nowhere, just became hypersensitive. It's fun. It's just fun. <laughs> and of course, immune and endocrine symptoms, breast swelling, breast pain, menstrual difficulties, sexual dysfunction, loss of libido, also lowered immune system, all that tied in. So I'm not going through the detail. You can go find those on our website at easinganxiety.com. Just look for um, the bind symptoms and you'll find them on there. But I thought that was interesting because presenting that to that class, you just start to see these symptoms and the number of symptoms and the confusion around them. It's nice to present them in an organized manner to where we can say, hey, here's how the symptoms break down. This is what we've seen most often. These are common but their reaction is like oh my god and and the fact that some of these go on for months or years really overtakes them so now i through that i do want to put a caveat in really quickly as i mentioned yes i still have symptoms yes i'm in a wave right now yes i'm getting insomnia haven't slept well make a seizures kick it up in the middle of the night it's not been fun it's a struggle and i hate it <laughs> as he laughs But also, no, don't forget, mine was also kicked off with long COVID. I have other conditions that are affecting it. Yes, I have symptoms at nine years. It doesn't mean it's going to be you. I have other conditions that are causing problems. Um, I did some things wrong. So please, please, when I say that I'm still dealing with things, you don't look at me and say, oh, my God, that's going to be me at nine years. The odds are definitely against that, okay? Okay. Only a very small minority of individuals have symptoms that last this long. I'm just one of those lucky ones. (laughs) But you know what? I'm so much better than I was the first year or two off these drugs. So much better. So I got that going for me. You know, I can deal with some symptoms. I have adapted. I've learned to handle them. And I've learned to live around them. And that's okay. That's okay. So those are symptoms, and I just wanted to mention that it was really interesting to see them see the symptoms in an organized fashion, and get an, get a taste for what we deal with, and I think it hit home, and I think it was effective, and I thought you all might like to hear that. I really did. You know, one other thing too, I talked about briefly in this course, and I thought it was interesting. Was we we touched on um, alcohol and benzos and GABA receptors. As many of you know, alcohol Actually, some of you know, but for those of you who don't know, you know, you will now. But that the the drug that benzodiazepines most closely mimic is alcohol. It's alcohol. That's the sedative. Yes, and alcohol is a sedative and so are benzodiazepines. Well, that's a sedative that benzodiazepines most closely mimic. In fact, and many of you have heard this before, but... Unfortunately, benzodiazepines and alcohol are the only two drugs that can kill you, that can cause death. I don't want to say kill you, that's not the right term, but can cause lead to death from withdrawal alone by itself. And that's one of the reasons why drinking alcohol and taking benzodiazepines, especially when you first take the benzodiazepines, you want to be very careful. And they don't ever emphasize that either, do they? But you really want to tell you will know how the benzodiazepines affect you, you want to be very careful taking it with alcohol. But also the subject comes up all the time in benzodiazepine community of should I drink alcohol? Yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? Now some of you are saying, of course not. No, I mean coming off these drugs or being on the drugs or now off the drugs a year, you should never drink alcohol. And some of you are going, yeah, you can have a drink now and then. The truth is we don't know for sure the fact that they both affect similar receptors it might be smart to avoid alcohol while taking benzodiazepines and or coming off benzodiazepines or even in the protracted stage of withdrawal from benzodiazepines to be honest that's probably a good rule to follow i'm not giving that advice i'm just saying hey that's probably a good rule if somebody's telling you that Have people drank alcohol coming off these drugs and been just fine? Absolutely. Have people drank alcohol while coming off these drugs and had severe reactions to them? Sure. I've seen that. Have I? I've drank alcohol on occasion. I think I may have had three or four drinks this whole year. I really have avoided it for years because of my bind. Um, I don't know. I never found a direct correlation. It's so hard to track if that's really. What I haven't noticed is I never noticed an immediate reaction, meaning that day or the next day, I don't notice suddenly as this wave of symptoms just hit me. For some people, that's the case. If there is a reaction, it seems to be hitting me three or four days later, but even that is just a guess. I don't really know. But my main point in all this is GABA and alcohol can have problems with each other and you want to be careful, okay? If you see that alcohol is causing problems if you're coming off benzodiazepines, it's probably good to avoid it. Or maybe just avoid it, period. And wait until you're starting to feel better again. And some people say you should never drink alcohol again. It's up to you. At Easing Anxiety, it's one of the things we always focus on. This is your journey Everybody's different. You got to figure out what works for you. And we'll get there. You're going to get through this. It's all going to be good. Ah, all right. We talked about so much here and I kind of just hit on a few things, but my time is running late and I don't want to go over, but I hope this was beneficial. I covered a few different topics today, both with the training um, I'm, I'm learning each time I teach this training I'm hoping to be teaching more of it. I, I think I'll be teaching one of the classes in the first quarter of next year um, as we keep expanding and things and, um, and and we're getting there it's 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 great to have that out there I know other trainings exist and I know other groups are doing great work and I I've seen all this stuff I just saw a thread come through on on my phone of this whole text thread that came through from a whole bunch of Benzo organizers and leaders about a new book that came out and everything. And was this covering it. it? Was covering this? And was somebody cons- I was just kind of there's a lot going on and and people are getting upset about it a little bit and are trying to figure things out and trying to get in touch. And I'm and I'm sitting back. I don't even comment on. It. I just say, isn't this amazing? Isn't it amazing that there are so many people talking about getting the right information out and doing all this? When I got started in this, that wasn't the case. I mean, Alliance, I think, was just recently on the board, and so was BIC, and they'd been here for a little bit. Um, Geraldine Burns was out there. Baylissa and Jennifer Lee were out there. And a few other ones were doing work. Um, of course, the Ashton Manual. Um, there wasn't much, though. When I started writing my book 10 years ago, there wasn't much out there. Um, Benzo Buddies, of course, was out there still doing the work there. And um, some other sites and stuff like that. I think Inner Compass was there. Um, although they're not just benzofocus, They're all prescription meds, but still they do good work. And there were sites, but it was the world now with all the different coaching sites and all the different uh, YouTube channels and everything else. It has just exploded. And while, yes, there is some misinformation out there. And yes, there are some sites that I may not recommend. It's just amazing that there are all this all these support options. So please go check those out and, and, and take a look at them and figure it out and go to our site and go to some of his other sites that we work with and get the information you need, get the support you need. You got this. You got this. You can get through this. This is temporary. It does improve. It does get better. There is... A bright blue sky, sunny day on the other side. I'm not just blowing smoke up your blah blah. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Okay, it does get better. I'm 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 doing good. I've struggled with some things, but it's not all benzo related. A lot of other things are just stuff that's happened. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm doing okay. And so many people are doing so much better and have had total success and are living great lives. We just got to get through this. Just got to hunker down, put the head down, power through it, and we're going to make it. Give me about 20 seconds here for my disclaimer. Thanks. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal or professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering on any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org disclaimer. Well, that winds things up. Thank you so much for coming, and that closes out episode. What was this episode? One twenty nine of the Benzo Free Podcast. Our next episode will be one thirty. I'm hoping I'll get one out here in the first week or two of December. That's the goal before the holidays really kick into full um, to full mode, and um, and then after that, I'm on vacation for two weeks. I'm doing some hiking down around Tennessee and Kentucky and Georgia. And then popping down to Orlando for a little bit of theme park activity. Um, I had thought about doing some kind of easing anxiety event down there, um, but I didn't put one together. I still might hint at something as it gets closer, but I don't know. It's just been, <laughs> I'm just letting you a little, you know, inside the brain, come on in and hear what I'm thinking <laughs> moment. But I don't know. I, 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 we're definitely going to want to do some in-person events as we move along. I'm just not sure if now's the time yet. Um, But I'm definitely going to bring my recorder along. I'm going to hopefully meet up with a few people um, from the podcast and do some recordings. So, hey, it's a road trip. I do road trips sometimes. And I'm really looking forward to bringing you all along on 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 parts of this one. So I think that'll be good. So thank you again for joining me today. And please let us know how we did. And as always, please remember to keep calm, taper slowly. And take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.